Hello and welcome to the EIU's Digital Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Swaby. This podcast is sponsored by DXC, an independent IT services company that specialises in digital transformation. We thank them for their support. It has been 20 years since Kevin Ashton, a Procter & Gamble brand manager turned MIT researcher, coined the phrase, the Internet of Things. Even then, connecting non-traditional devices, such as sensors or wearables, to the Internet had long been discussed. The IoT, then, has had a long period of gestation. Only in the last decade or so have the necessary components become cheap enough and small enough to embed in affordable consumer products. Even so, predictions that we would one day be surrounded by internet-connected devices have yet to come to pass, aside, of course, from our smartphones. As discussed on previous episodes of this podcast, a new technology often needs a new business model for its potential to be realised. Internet-connected products present companies with unique challenges, from product development to distribution and maintenance. In this episode, we investigate the microeconomics of the IoT to discover how businesses, large and small, can make connected products work commercially. I was joined this month from Hong Kong by Serena Pao, Head of Product Development at energy provider CLP's Innovation Hub, by Anvil Ng, Senior Manager for Acceleration Programs at Hong Kong Science and Technology Parks, and by Florian Simendinger, founder and CEO of music tech startup Soundbrenner. I started by asking Florian to describe his company's product and how it benefits from being connected to the internet. Yeah, of course. So the Soundbrenner Pulse is our first device and it's designed to be a variable specifically for playing instruments. So it works with, let's say, guitar, piano or drums and it allows you to feel the beat of the music you want to play instead of traditionally uh, listening to the rhythm with a metronome. So it's a very great practice tool for any musician and one of the great features is its connectivity. So you can synchronize it with Bluetooth to a Android app or an iOS app and there you can basically program any rhythm in the world. Another great feature from the connectivity is that you can actually synchronize multiple units. So if, for example, if you play in a band, every single musician can feel the beat in synchronization. And then I would say last, uh, for example, this customization allows you to even program whole set lists and create a song library that you can easily access through the app. So, so like any other IoT device, um, Soundbrenner combines both hardware and software, and so developing the product combines hardware and software development. How, in your case, did you go about combining those two capabilities to, to create an integrated product? Yeah, I think any great... IoT company is really a software company in disguise. So we put much more emphasis on the software part. And for us in product development, it's very important that we do the software development in-house, whereas it's more acceptable to outsource some of the uh, hardware development. So hardware typically consists of electrical engineering, so the PCB. Uh, It consists of the industrial design and the mechanical design. And over the years, we've outsourced always some components of these, uh, which has been quite helpful because, to be honest, as, uh, even being a ROT company, you don't have ongoing hardware development. Typically, um, it's more something seasonal where when you're about to start a new project, you have some requirements there and then you may have for several months 
no requirements at all. And that's why outsourcing for a startup is a good option in, in that area, where software is more ongoing and you always have to improve it, update it, patch it, add new features. And also it's much more complex and strategically important. So you never want to outsource that. That's, that's the advice I always give to IoT founders. Anvil, the, the Hong Kong Science and Technology Park is home to a number of uh, startups with IoT-related products. Uh, what are some of the challenges they face in developing their products? Um, and what have you seen as some of the most effective approaches that they apply? Actually, for the IoT-related product, per nature, is more complicated because you just you not just need to deal with the app side, you also need to e deal with the firmware, the Bluetooth connectivity, and the hardware, and even the design for manufacturing, all kind of stuff. So I think the uh, challenge they are facing is for a startup, it's very difficult to have a very uh, complex team to have all the expertise in-house. So I think the uh, one of the things they can consider if they are at the very beginning, whether they can consider how should they Build, that their team build should go, um, or they can also consider to have the uh, to outsource their device to outsource the hardware part to the reliable partners, such that they can take care about the uh, hardware developments, compliance, and the manufacturing stuff. But I think one get back to basic is that whenever you need to do the outsource model, make sure you inside your team you have uh, people to take care of that kind of relationship. Otherwise, it will be it will easy to get uh, uh, lost in the development cycle and the direction because you cannot judge whether the feedback from the outsource partners is uh, well trustable or reliable or not. Yeah, I would really agree to that. So I've, I myself have a background more in design and marketing and less on the engineering side. And without my co-founder who studied music technology and understood uh, all the engineering parts very well, I don't think we would have succeeded in developing a product even with outsourcing it because you really need to understand what kind of decisions are these service provider making on your behalf. Uh, for example, what does it mean for the long term of your product, a certain uh, component choice, or um, you, know, you, you just need to have a certain in-house expertise. So it's still very important to have some um, uh, technical knowledge in-house, in no matter what. So, so Serena, I... I I'd like to kind of bring you in as perhaps a more enterprise voice in this conversation. CLP is one of Hong Kong's main energy suppliers. And uh, in June of this year, you launched Smart Energy Connect, which is a marketplace for energy management related apps and IoT devices. Uh, why did the company decide to take that approach compared to developing the apps and devices yourselves? What, what, what is the thinking behind this more kind of ecosystem model? Yeah. I think at CLP, we really want to become the utility of future. Um, what we mean here is actually we want to be able to empower our user um, by giving them the right surface so that they can choose what kind of energy sources or what kind of surface do they need. We cannot do everything by ourselves. We're not God, basically. We don't know everything. We have the expertise in the energy field, but actually, you know, we cannot produce all the hardware ourselves, we cannot do the soft, all the software ourselves, we cannot do all the data analytics ourselves. So it's important to open up a marketplace or platform like Smart Energy Connect so that we allow people um, who are in the energy industry, especially startup, you know, they have a lot of, um, they need to invest a lot of resources to develop their product. 
while they don't really have the outlet to sell the product because you know it's a B2B sales. Most of the um, startup that we are working with or the companies that we are working with, um, you know, they, they have to go for really advanced technology because this is for the utility industry. So they should focus on their product development cycle, what they are strong in, and while we can focus on, you know, what we are strong in, which is we have a customer base, we have, you, we understand our customers. So that's why I think, you know, this ecosystem approach or like open innovation approach really makes sense. And so your, your work on the, on the marketplace requires you to keep an eye out for, among other things, a good IoT products that can help businesses manage their energy use. So, so what, in your opinion, makes for a good IoT product in a B2B setting as opposed to a consumer setting? Yeah, I think a good uh, B2B IoT product really, actually B2B and B2C, it's kind of similar because at the end of the day, the, the day it is B2B2C. So, you know, our users, like, uh, you know, it can be facility manager, property owners, they are all consumer themselves. So if we don't design something that is human-centric, if we don't think of them all the time, and if we don't have the empathy to understand, you know, what does this design do, I don't think any IoT product would work. Especially, I think, you know, since there is a hardware component to it, if um, the user themselves, especially like the facility manager, they don't know how to install, then, you know, it will be a big hassle for them. In fact, um, one of the criteria when we look into the startups or the company that we work with, um, we'll be looking into how difficult is it for us to integrate with them? How, you know, uh, resource driven is it for us to do implementation and configuration? So the less you make us work, you know, the, the, um, the end consumer work, the better it is, in fact. So I think convenience is very important and easy to use. Do you see that the the B two B IoT products that you come across uh, successfully combine that uh, the, both the, the business focus and the uh, consumer design? It is in fact not easy to find a combination of both. Um, for example, the product team on average will screen you know hundreds of products a month, and um, we really need to look into the design uh, if the demonstration of the product really live up to what they claim. So it is hard. But I think you know also we need to do trials. Like we need to take the data, you know, give the uh, people dummy data to test out their product. If they say it's a data analytic platform, can it at least analyze something? with the dummy data, right? And how good is the performance? And if it has an IoT component to it, then what's the reliability? You know, I think that's important. So as we've discussed in this podcast series before, uh, a new technology innovation often requires a new business model in order to, to reach its uh, full potential. Um, so I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the business models that uh, we see uh, accompanying the IoT and, and supporting the IoT. Uh, Florian, for, for Sam Brenner, you opted for a quite a traditional product business model, a, a one-off price for the device as opposed to a, a subscription. Uh, why was that? And would you do it differently if you, you started the company again? Uh, yeah, I think the reason why we chose that was simply because we didn't overly think about the business model when we started the company. I think that's one of the things that uh, makes... You, you, you can really tell the difference between a first-time entrepreneur and a more experienced entrepreneur. Uh, the first-time entrepreneur will worry only about the product and if the product is a great idea, 
and has value to the customers, whereas a more seasoned entrepreneur will take the business model part far more seriously. And so now that our company has been established for several years, of course, we are thinking more and more about this. And um, I, I think actually, you know, taking a step back and looking at the consumer hardware industry, one of the reasons why it hasn't delivered on the hype that IoT as a sector, for example, for venture capital had two or three years ago is actually this business model of one-off purchases, which, which has been very common. And now we've seen, we are seeing the first companies emerging that have this recurring revenue more built in. And, and the, the problem, by the way, is, is simply that if you make a one-off sale, the lifetime value of the customer is very small. So for example, in our case, we sell a metronome for 99 US dollars, and that's it. Uh, whereas if you have a subscription service like Netflix, they may be able to have, uh, retain a subscriber for 10 years and make hundreds if not thousands of dollars. And hence they can spend much more on marketing and acquiring a customer. Whereas in hardware, you don't have those dynamics and unit economics. So, so what all that means is um, it's very important for a IoT business to find a way to monetize on an ongoing recurring basis. And uh, that's what we're working towards now. Excellent. So Anvil, many of the uh, IoT startups in the, the Hong Kong Science and Technology Park are, are B2B in focus. What are the most effective and, and profitable business models that you've seen for B2B IoT companies? Um, and why do you think they have been the most successful? I always have a joke to my companies. It's saying that if you, are, you, if you cannot find a sustainable, continuous uh, revenue model from hardware product, then the more you sell, the less customer you have. So I think go back to the question for doing B2B business, the the holy grail behind is for from to think from the po, from the uh, corporate perspective. What they are looking for is something they can either help them generate more revenue or help them save more costs. So for the IoT uh, related product, deep down it is a uh, means to collect data to help them improve their running business, whether have uh, more revenue or how to use the resources in more effective way. So we see that many uh, successful uh, uh, companies who are IoT-based to doing uh, on B2B focus, they, they are able to find the uh, required data that can help a corporate to do better. That's why they can ask for the subscription model to help them um, to make sure that they would uh, continue use the company's solution. Let's say, for example, uh, going back to the uh, uh, building management uh, system, if you are just offering the data, then probably they will, they will argue because it's not free. They, they will argue about what can you bring to them further. However, if you package them, they can, can help them to improve their operation efficiency, help them to use their resources, or help make their customer more happy. They will think that it's a, actually it's a revenue for them. It's a business. So they are happy to use your solution to generate more, more business or more money. Anvil, your, your work focuses on helping startups based in Hong Kong expand globally. Uh, what are the particular challenges for IoT businesses in expanding around the world? How do they manage, for example, regional differences in standards or, or regulation? First of all, to expand a business to different places by itself is a 
make is a big decision. So regardless if it's a IoT uh, product or not, we will definitely need to sit down with them to see uh, what is the uh, outreach plan about their their how their business their their use case whether it's still valid in other places and any similarity they are facing any problems they have already solved can be applied in other places because think about it if you are dealing with the uh, B2B sector different uh, industry will have their uh, best practice in different places whether a solution work in one place may not be in others but it just so happened for the IoT product they need to deal with the compliance, data protection, and even the uh, certification kind of uh, difficulty. So, and even also have the, uh, they will, I will also advise them to review their uh, IP protection because uh, some of the IP they cover may not be uh, well protected in other places. So um, our advice to them is always before they move, do a more all-rounded uh, review and study before they really set foot in other places. Because actually, before before you start your business uh, out there, or many of them can be those can be done locally. For example, the IP review, the uh, data protection policy, the compliance, all that kind of stuff. So, Florian, you originally started uh, the company in Berlin, but you quickly moved the, the company to Hong Kong. Uh, why was that? And uh, what have you learned as a result? Uh, yeah, so we started in Berlin because that's what that's where we were when we had the idea to start the company. But then already during the early phases of prototyping and tr uh, making trial runs with the product, we, we, we realized the shortcomings of developing consumer electronics in Europe. So, for example, we didn't have access to the right components. I still remember uh, we were looking for vibration motors, for example, and we went through every electronics shop in Berlin and we found one single model. And then we went online and we ordered um, it from there, which took four weeks to arrive. And uh, one month later, we were in Huachang Bay in Shenzhen, and there was an old lady with a card with wheels that literally had 150 motors in, in them. So my co-founder and me, we looked at each other and we were, um, you know, thinking to, to, to ourselves, this is a much better environment to develop electronics. And so I think we really put our company on steroids by coming to Hong Kong and getting into proximity of the Shenzhen supply chain because we are so much faster in developing new products and also make, making sure the quality is, is right for, for production. Yeah, echoing that, actually, um, when I was starting my own hardware startup, I was considering to move to San Francisco. But then at one point, I was like, mm. no, because I need to make the hardware. If I'm in San Francisco, who will follow up with the factories and things, right? So you do need to be in Asia in order to make good hardware. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. Yeah, so when I was in Silicon Valley and I talked to investors, I heard the phrase that to accomplish what we have done would have cost $20 million in Silicon Valley simply because it would be so much more costly and time intensive to develop hardware from being, being away from, from the factories. Yes. How much did it cost? <laughs> well, so far, our business raised $3 million, so it was a lot less than 20. Gotcha. So we talk a lot about um, digital disruption and the threat that uh, typically purely digital startups pose to established industries and established companies. Uh, I'm interested in the extent to which IoT startups present a similar threat. 
So, so Anvil, starting with you, do you think um, I, the connected products pose a comparable threat to uh, traditional product markets as uh, digital companies have done in their respective industries? That's an interesting question. And I would like to view this question from the investment process point of view. In order for doing the investment, people probably would, would check about the, uh, the progress they have made, the uh, client, their business, and even their, their product. So in all this perspective, doing the, a product with hardware link up is more difficult for them to come up with a very sexy story comparing with a pure digital uh, company. That's, I think that's also the uh, reason why we didn't see much uh, out pure hardware company that uh, uh, doing the uh, disruptive fat to the market. And actually, Florian also mentioned about similar uh, uh, item from the uh, product development point of view. For hardware product, they live a longer development cycle. Uh, once they get uh, wrong, it takes a longer term, unlike different, it's different from uh, software perspective, like an agile, very agile approach, they can do a very fast spin in a short term. That is uh, more to, to investor to have this kind of a fast spin, quick prototype, easy ram up is more they prefer. Yeah, I think an interesting way to think about it is um, if you look at the category of products um, and, and to ask the question, is who's going to succeed the startup or the corporate in that sector? Uh, the determining thing would be whether the the critical part of the product is more the software or more the traditional part of the item. Uh, so, so for example, let's take the lock industry. Uh, is it more important for the smart lock that the lock is truly great, or is the software ecosystem behind the lock more important? And for example, in the case of locks, it's probably more how to manufacture the lock and the lock part itself, which is where the corporates are already amazing at. And so it's going to be relatively hard for a startup to win the, the segment by making amazing you know, software for this smart lock, uh, for example. Um, but so, so, so that's a kind of a lens to, that, that you can apply to each sector and, and see if, you know, who's, who's going to succeed. But that, that suggests that you feel that the, the startups would be intrinsically better able to develop the software side and develop the software ecosystem. Is that right? And, and if so, why do you think that? Yeah, I would definitely say that the startups are having a huge advantage there simply because um, a lot of corporates, you know, like to make great software, you need to iterate very quickly. You need to be very close to the customer and talk a lot. And you need to sort of bring a modern design thinking and uh, embrace technology. So, so for example, I know it very well from the music industry where there are so many corporate companies that are rooted in craftsmanship. They make beautiful instruments, for example, but they don't understand software or technology very well. So they are having an extremely hard time, even though they may be billion dollar companies, to develop compelling apps for musicians. Whereas even a single developer, uh, there are many, many, uh, let's say, uh, indie independent studio uh, developers with very few employees that make better apps than billion dollar music companies. And, and I think that speaks to that that's, tends to be the case that that software goes to startups yeah 
Serena, I agree and not agree though. You know, if you look into if it's like traditional like corporate、uh, kind of software that we use like a ERP or whatever, I think you know definitely that is more like a corporate driven world. But you know,、uh, software I think depends on how the company set up. Like at CLP Innovation Lab, we are quite diverse, and we do have people who are coming from different background: design thinker, hardware, software, cloud architect. So with that infrastructure. I think we can make something amazing as well, like on the software side. Yeah, and also it depends on the problem you need to you want to address. For some application, if the problem that you are dealing with require a sensor or IoT to fit in、uh, relevant information, then that is needed. So going back to step one is what is the value that you bring to your customer? Is it make sense or is it? Good enough to add to let to allow them to use your solution. So, Serena, what what impact do you expect the IoT to have on your market, on the energy market? Do you see the likes of、uh, Google's Nest home thermostats, for example, as a a disruptive threat to traditional energy providers? The in energy industry in general, I think it's really disrupted by a lot of different IoT sensors that we place out there, from the generation side to you know transmission to retail side. You know there is a sensor for everything. And thinking about it, with all these sensors, what would we do? There's a lot of data that is being processed in the market, and、um, this will be a trend in the energy industry. You know, we we're becoming more and data driven. We have to be data driven, otherwise, with all the sensors that we, you know, the, the data that we have collected, what is it for? You know, we need to make sense out of it. And what do we want to do? At the end of the day, we want to provide greater service to our clients, right? To understand them more, to you know, to give them the choices that they want. So I think, you know, the way we serve the client will be changing. And if you compare, you know, the energy industry to Google, I think it's still quite different, because Google it's,、uh, you know, focusing more on the consumer data and so on. And while, you know, the energy industry, we still have our Basic infrastructure. We still have the boiler. We still have the power plants and so on. So with all these, you know, basic infrastructure, we need to enhance our reliability still. So it's a,、uh, you know, it's still basic surface with a digital element and create a better consumer experience. I think that's what we are trying to do. Yes,、yeah, to so really to merge the hardware, you know, the concrete with sensor, with data, with software. To make it really、uh, user centric. Great,、uh, and the same question for you, Florian. What what do you think the future holds for your industry,、uh, musical devices and, and musical education,、uh, as a result of IoT and, and connected products? Yeah, I think what Serena said is very good because ultimately that's what it's all about to us as well at Soundbrenner. It's all about delivering a great product experience that. Can use the technology to make a difference for the user. So, for example, in music,、uh, there's over a billion people in the world who try to learn an instrument, bought an instrument, then gave up and failed. And that's basically because practice is torture today. And I think with the power of IoT and technology and better tools, we can make a real difference in、uh, making,、uh, in our case, practice more fun and more rewarding. 
and use that technology to deliver a better product experience. And that's precisely what we see as our mission and as our goal. And uh, hopefully, you know, the, the technology can help us get there. Great stuff. Okay, Florian, Anvil, Serena, thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks to Jason Winsunas for his help in producing this episode. And thanks again to our sponsors, DXC, an independent IT services company that specializes in digital transformation, for supporting the series. Most importantly, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, please make sure to subscribe to the EIU Digital Economy podcast on your platform of choice. Tune in next time when we'll be talking about the digitization of trade.